evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Daisy Cousins Presents, where I'll be presenting to you some of the world's most interesting people. Individuals who are not only fascinating for their unique views and diverse perspectives, but also for their unique selves. And tonight, we have a show that is guaranteed to be an absolute hoot. Joining me later in the program is someone who fans of my YouTube channel will no doubt remember as an unsavory character who terrorized me in my own home multiple times a couple of years ago before she took the hint and ceased her tomfoolery. Make sure you stick around for her reprise. But first, Comedy has long been used as a tool with which to bravely critique society and stick it to the proverbial man. However, as I am sure many of you will agree, mainstream comedy over the last 10 or so years has morphed into the tool of the man. Whether it's late night talk show hosts spouting government talking points about COVID vaccines or stand-up comedians who promote woke culture rather than poking fun at it, one could certainly argue that political correctness has killed comedy. Well, it would have, if not for people like my formidable first guest. The gentleman I am about to converse with will be a familiar face to many, having garnered huge attention online with his videos addressing city council meetings in the US with presentations like the vaccine rap. Would the real Dr. Fauci please stand up? Please stand up, please stand up. Vaccinate your mom, vaccinate your dad. Vaccinate the happy, vaccinate the sad. Vaccinate your babies, vaccinate them. Even if they got rabies, vaccinate my life, vaccinate my wife. Vaccinate your DNA, vaccine created by the CIA. Vaccinate your body, vaccinate me at the party. Vaccination freak, vaccination freak a leak. I want the vaccine in my life. I want the vaccine for my wife. I want to vaccinate you all day long. Vaccinate you while I wear my thong. Not to mention his vehement support for the intersection of trans identity and reproductive rights. Listen, counsel, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, what is happening now is you are limiting what I can do with my vagina. First of all, you dictated where I could take a number two. You try to tell me that, oh, I couldn't go in a woman's restroom. But now you have Governor Abbott saying that I can't have an abortion. I can have an abortion. You have to take your hands off my vagina right now. You do not own my uterus. The uterus is mine. It is a clump of cells in there. We need to take that clump of cells and destroy it like this paper. Just take the clump because it has no life. It has no meaning. But in all seriousness, the courage displayed by this individual in the face of the woke cultural headwinds is really quite extraordinary. In addition to being a comedian and indeed a performance artist, my esteemed guest this evening is also a YouTube star and the host of his own fabulous talk show on Blaze TV. He is the incomparable, the effervescent, the truly, truly iridescent Alex Stein. Alex, it is so lovely to have you here this evening. How are you? Well, my heart is melting in my chest. I mean, that introduction, I feel, I mean, it was almost romantic. And then you played those clips and I had nostalgia and it was just a very professional introduction, probably one of the most professional introductions that I've ever had. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate you having me uh, walk down memory lane like that. 
Well, it is it is my pleasure. I certainly had a lot of fun uh, looking through all of your clips on, on the internet, <laughs> finding the clips to use for the intro. So wonderful to have you here. Now, let's start with that rapping that you do. It is a bit of a thing that you do. You have a few other hit rap numbers. One is called Prayers for Ukraine, uh, which I have seen. That's quite interesting. Um, they're very innovative, but I have to ask, do you make up all the lyrics to your rap numbers yourself? Well, of course, and, and I'm the town hall terror. When I go there, you know, and I actually, you know, the backstory behind it, I actually started speaking at city councils at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, speaking, I would kind of mix in some humor, but earnestly, you know, just talking about the mask mandates and the lockdowns. And I got no headway whatsoever. But then when I started going insane, when I started making fun of them and doing these raps, that's what worked the best because I'm a pimp on a blimp. And when you say the raps and you have the alliteration, it makes people remember it. And it's awkward and everybody likes to see a white guy rap. So <laughs> it already every race likes it. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's a multicultural rap when a white guy raps in an, you know, goofy manner. It is delightfully goofy, and I, I do have to say, watching watching your rapping, one of the thoughts that did, did go through my head was how very, very, very white you looked doing, <laughs> doing those raps. Yes, yeah. but the thing is, I'm a freestyle king. I mean, when I go there, you know, I have an agenda. Like, I kind of know what I'm going to talk about, and some rhymes, you know, I'll come up. Like, I come up with a little bit before, like, Prayers for Ukraine. But really, it's, it's really just a freestyle acapella, and that is kind of like singing from my heart. That's what makes it funny, because, like, when I grab the – Pfizer sanitizer for their prayers for Ukraine. That's one of the funniest parts. People love that. So it's almost just like improvisational humor. And I appreciate you calling it performance art because one of my heroes is Andy Kaufman. So I know it's insane. I am an insane person, but there is a message that I'm trying to convey. So I think in, in that sense, it is art. And, and, you know, I would describe it. No, I, th I think so. And you you actually have a, a lot of characters that you've created over the last couple of years to take into these council meetings um, to, from what I interpret anyway, expose just the sheer lunacy of the left. Uh, one of these was Ronnie the Rat for furry awareness. That was quite fun. Um, you've also posed as a teacher trying to bring age-inappropriate material into the classroom, which of course is, is a big thing. We've seen libs of TikTok, um, the Twitter account expose a lot of that. But look, Alex, my question for you, you demonstrate the type of lack of self-consciousness doing this that I, I actually can't get my head around. How do you have the confidence to, and the courage to go into these council meetings and, and do these kinds of comedy routines? Well, I think when I was a baby, I was dropped on my head a few times. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I know I was. And they had to give me a metal crib because I broke through the wooden one. So I think I have some sort of, uh, you know, mental disorder and that's part of it that that's that's part of it because I've, I've gotten a lot of other people one of the things that i'm most happy about is now i have a lot of like copycats or i've inspired other people to do this and uh you know there's other crazy people like me but i guess what separates me is that to be honest the reason why i have the courage to do it i don't know if you know this daisy but i lost my mom to covid19 she got covid then you know she went to the hospital and they gave her you know a remdesivir without my permission and she ended up dying and i remember walking into that hospital every day watching you know just watching her sitting in that bed and that's right before i blew up 
and I can kind of go back in my head how terrible it was when I went through that hallway and I just sat there and everything else compared to that is like nothing. So going in front of a council room full of a bunch of politicians that really don't have our back, it's almost therapeutic in a sense because I do have so much angst. I, I am still not well, to say the least. And so, you know, I kind of want to stick it to the system. Uh, because the system really doesn't care about us. They try to give us this illusion that it's right versus left or that our vote really matters or that we have control of the system. And really, it's corporations that can buy and sell these politicians. So really, I guess why I have the courage is because, A, I'm mad. B, I've went through some traumatic situations that are much you know, scarier. So I think those are the two main reasons why it's really like water off a duck's back, walking in that room and you know, trying to make it as awkward as possible. Mm, that's a that's a terribly sad story about your mum, and I'm I'm so sorry that that happened. I, I can't. I mean, you and I are about the same age. I think you're only a couple of years older than me, and I I I can't even get my head around how horrible that would have been. So, my condolences, and I I can imagine. So it was it was that you know anger you felt on behalf of your mum and on behalf of the system and what it was doing to us all um, that inspired you to engage in that really unique societal critique. It's funny, isn't it? Because the way the left reacts to, you know, their anger and their angst is to go and like burn things and, and, and riot. But, but you've, uh, would you yeah. say that you instead have just gone down the, the avenue of trying to make people smile? Well, I would call it civil disobedience, and that's what I would encourage everybody to do. You know, the next lockdown, the climate lockdown, we can't break the law because if you look what happened in January 6th here in America, we have what is called agent provocateurs. It was basically a trap. There's a lot of Americans that really cared about our country that did a lot less things than what happened in the summer of love during BLM. So my point being is you have to follow the rules, but also not follow the rules, be non-compliant. So it's kind of a gray area, but at the same time, I think we can do it by going to these city council meetings, by you know, kind of calling these politicians out to their face and not wearing a mask or not doing whatever protocol they try to you know, put in place that we know is nonsense. So being civilly disobedient while still staying under the letter of the law, which I know is hard, but I think that's the only way to, I guess, fight against the uh, new world order, in my opinion. Well, it certainly seems to work. And um, you mentioned sort of not wearing a mask, for instance, in order to stick it to them. But I've, you also have a technique I've noticed of doubling down on their insane rules. I mean, there's this viral clips of you wearing like five masks, like all, all, all over your face. Is that a tactic as well, do you think? Like just absolutely leaning into it to, to show how absurd it all is? That's the only way that I can fight back because I didn't fly for nearly a year and because I wouldn't put on a mask. And then I said, you know what, I'm just going to put on 10 masks and just I would make everybody <laughs> laugh. And then it went viral. So, yeah, I mean, that's the only way to fight back is to kind of mock the system. And I'm very clown pilled. It's not that I've lost hope for humanity. I haven't lost hope for humanity, but th they mock us constantly. The government constantly is tinkling on us and telling us it's rain. But th the problem is it's like we have to laugh at these people because they're laughing at us. And I know that sounds conspiratorial, but I'm telling you, the people in charge, they really don't care about us. You know, these politicians laugh. And if they did care about us, they wouldn't treat illegal immigrants better than, you know, veterans. So, you know, that's the only way is we have to laugh back. And, and politicians hate being mocked more than anything in my experience and what I'm doing. I, I think you're absolutely right that politicians are, are laughing at us. And, and certainly um, in Australia, we, we had those, as you know, like complete, completely ridiculous, absurd, 
absurd COVID lockdowns. And Melbourne was locked down for hundreds of days. Sydney was locked down for, for almost as long. Um, it, it, I am 100% certain that all of those politicians, just in my opinion, were sitting there at the National Cabinet, you know, shrieking with laughter at what they were doing to the population. Um, and, and knowing that if they wanted to sort of, you know, maybe get away with not following those rules, they could. Like, it's, it, oh God, I mean, I can go on forever about this, but uh, you're, you and I are on the same wavelength there. You mentioned a, a term just then called clown-pilled. I've heard of red-pilled, mm -hmm. I've heard of black-pilled, I've heard of, of white-pilled. I've not heard of clown-pilled. <laughs> what is clown-pilled? Well, it's kind of a new term, and, and I didn't invent it, but it's just kind of, like I said, you almost have to laugh at the system. It's like the meme culture has become uh, probably the best way of getting information out, in my opinion. People can look at a picture, look at a short video, and get a lot of information. So I think in that sense, that's being clown-pilled. It's like kind of knowing everything's messed up, but you're either choosing to laugh at it or you're choosing to be like, the climate, everything's going to melt soon, and we're going to be underwater. So, you know, you have to laugh at the nonsense instead of letting it, because what what instead of letting it affect you mentally and and hurting your self-esteem, because I call it trauma-based mind control. That's what they try to use against us. They try to use fear to constantly control us. So instead of letting that fear come in, we have to laugh back. And that's what I call being clown pilled. I think that's an excellent technique, and I'm going to remember it because, as I'm sure you'll agree, I think the most potent weapon that politicians have against the general public is fear. If you can frighten the population, you can pretty much frighten them uh, into doing anything that you want. So laughter, very good advice, Alex. I think it's a very good way of cutting through that. Now, look, it, it seems to me you're effectively using the left's own tactics against them. I mean, what you do in those council meetings, it's very Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals. Um, you know, certainly that ridicule is a man's most potent weapon. That's one of the rules. And also the infamous, I think it's the 13th rule, pick the target, freeze it, personalise it and polarise it. Uh, was this a deliberate choice by you or is this sort of just incidentally where you've gone with your activism? Well, a little bit of both and also accuse, you know, your enemy of what you're actually doing. And, and that's kind of what I'm doing as well. So it's funny how that book is so applicable. But, you know, it's also used by Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and I'm sure AOC. You know, they love to create as much chaos because they uh, look at crises or crises, have you pronounce it correctly? I feel so with you. I want to sound so proper, Daisy. <laughs> but what I'm saying is they try not to let a crisis ever go to waste. So, yeah, they love the idea of Saul Alinsky doing bizarre things. And uh, I do too, sadly. And I kind of want to be a more conservative or more populist version of that. Because, you know, that's really now in this internet age, stuff can go viral. People want to see something goofy. And I think it's a uh, Saul Alinsky would be like, be so happy now in this digital era, you can do a publicity stunt a lot easier because we're not, we're now all independent journalists. We all can put it on Twitter and then a big account can share it. So yeah, no, that's 100% correct that I have, uh, you know, modeled a lot of my strategy off, you know, Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. I think it's um, very interesting that you've done that because one of my, Alex, my great frustrations with conservatives, particularly, you know, God bless them, older conservatives, they have no sense of humour about themselves or about the world. So, you know, if, if you go and do something kind of funny on the internet, and I've experienced it from sort of, you know, boomer conservatives, some of them in Australia as, as well. If I've written like a really narky article for The Spectator, they sort of, they, they get very upset about it. They clutch their pearls and they're, oh, you can't say that. Um, and 
it's a self-defeating mentality, certainly. Um, do you run up against that uh, when, when it comes to conservatives in America some of the time? Are you kidding? I mean, I'm very politically incorrect. And, you know, these people on the right, you know, both sides are annoying. The people on the far right, too, are like, oh, well, you're going to burn in hell for eternity, you know, with half the stuff I do. No, seriously, I get that from a lot of the conservative sides. And I get that. I actually get that opinion. And I do believe in God. So I get it. You know, we're all going to face a judgment day. But seriously, that's not the way you, I, I don't think you spread the gospel by just totally trying to scare people. So no, on the right, I get a lot of hate. And then on the left, of course, I get a lot of hate. But uh it's because I'm politically incorrect. I, I grew up listening to Howard Stern and he is now his politics stink. But the reason why he was so good is he would actually have like people from the Grand Dragon Wizards of the KKK on his show and hear their crazy opinion, not because he was platforming them to see how, you know, nonsense that this guy was spewing. So you could laugh at him. So it would kind of expose them, let them hang themselves metaphorically. So uh, me being politically incorrect, people love it because Hollywood is so, you know, watered down our movies are watered down radios watered down everything's watered down and if it's not watered down it's sexualized stuff towards children so that's why our uh, you know entertainment industry for lack of a better word is dying literally because they're all on strike as well Absolutely. And look, you mentioned um, sexualized stuff being um, pushed towards children at the moment that that seems to be an increasing thing from a very noisy minority on the left. Um, you've called this out a number of times. You know, you've uh, called out, for instance, um, you know, supposedly family-friendly drag shows. I mean, how mm -hmm. on earth do sort of mainstream media people either turn a blind eye to this or defend it? Because it, it's it's like they're they're gonna go out on a limb for trans ideology at the expense of children. I mean, how how does that how does that work? Listen, I just want to make this very clear. I'm not anti-LGBTQ. I have gay family members. I have a gay friend. So I, I'm not homophobic whatsoever. But uh, what ha what's happening, and I'm not even transphobic, but the trans community has basically hijacked the gay you know, uh, rights issue. And it's kind of, you know, turned it into their issue. And somehow that has become now where drag shows are basically a mandatory lesson in a young child's life to these people, which is not the case. These are adult-themed events that children should not go to. It's very simple. And listen, there's a lot of people getting exposed by libs of TikTok. And I actually am not against the, the pride flag. Put it outside of a bar. So if I know if I go in there, it's a gay bar. You know, that is an applicable use. It's a bar. There's adults. But the only thing that separates a straight person and a gay person is their sexual preference. So I don't understand why that would need to be in an elementary school classroom. Well, I don't understand why we were talking about sexual preference at all in a school. You know, we needed not you know, celebrate, I guess, sex or adult themes with children. So that's like this big issue where it's not just LGBT rights. It's something different. It's something more sinister. And it's been hijacked. It's not really about gay rights anymore. It's about now this kind of weird attack on children. And it's happening more and more. And the mainstream media will tell you that that's not true. But it just one, one look at libs of TikTok mm. would tell you that that is incorrect. Totally incorrect. I mean, I pay a lot of attention to Libs of TikTok. I think she does really, really good work. And look, I, I'm like you. I mean, I have gay family members. I have gay friends. I was, as I, I always say to people who try to call me homophobic, I'm like, please, I was defending the gays from homophobia when I was a teenager back in the early 2000s before it was cool to do so. So just, you know, stick a pin in it. But my, my concern, Alex, and I'm wondering if you share this concern, you mentioned that the trans movement has hijacked gay rights. 
I reckon that this kind of mad gender ideology, and I don't mean just you're under the mill trans person, I mean the activists, the really aggressive ones, I think they're going to take gay rights and gay acceptance backwards. Is that a concern that you have as well? Well, for sure. I mean, because it's just the pendulum. People are getting, you know, I guess more radicalized against it. And, you know, really and truly, I think that the trans community, it's the nobody really cares here in America if you're trans, but people do not want men competing against women in sports. You know, there's very few things, but it's just, you know, such an outrage. So that makes people more against trans people because of one athlete, right? So it does radicalize people because one Leah Thomas makes all of a sudden all these trans people bad. So no, it really is. It's only going to get kind of worse. Um, and, and I don't know how we fix it because the mainstream media is always going to say, oh, well, you know, trans rights is the, the main way we need to live. But I don't understand what rights a trans person doesn't have compared to me here in America. <laughs> I mean, other than they want to compete against women in sports. Yeah, it's 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 very, very strange. And look, speaking of um, males competing against females in sports, I'm going to play another one of your clip now, your clips now. And I'm I'm very <laughs> excited about this. Uh, this is uh, from one of your city council appearances. It is, in fact, my favorite uh, clip. Uh, let's have a look at it. I'm trying to compete. And yes, I was born a boy. So what, guys? This is 2022. It doesn't matter what you're born. We have Kintaji Brown Jackson even says she doesn't even know what a woman is. So then I'm a woman. So that's what you guys have to do. If the Supreme Court justice is on my side, then why can't I get the same from the Plano City Council? That's the problem is I come here and I'm still a victim of transphobia. Yet we have champions like my girl Leah, my sister, and she is she gets to win. But I don't. Why not? That's what I'm asking you. Why not? Why can't I swim against the ladies? Why are we having a transphobic world where I just want to compete against the ladies? Why are you saying that I'm not a biological woman? Clearly, I look like a biological woman. I mean, come on. It's been hours tucking this thing in. Give me a break. I should be able to swim. And I'm on so much hormone therapy, I don't even know left or right anymore. <laughs> You have um, more body confidence uh, that, than I, I do. Uh, uh, kudos for that. I think you look fabulous in, in that swimsuit. Uh, now, Alex, well, look, this, this is very, very funny. You are commenting on a very serious issue here, which is, as we both mentioned, the continued encroachment on women's rights by transgender activists, whether that's competing in sport or going into women's bathrooms or women's prisons or any of that. But look, what really struck me about this clip is that nobody in that meeting contradicted you or interrupted you or even in the background looked mildly bemused by what you're saying. Are people in these arenas really that beholden to trans ideology? Oh, 100%. People want to be very, you know, very careful not to offend anybody. And that goes back to politically, you know, being too politically correct. And, you know, when it comes to the young people, so many more kids are identifying as trans because their parents are allowing them or encouraging them because it might give them an advantage in sports. So this Leah Thomas issue it, it, at the college level, it bleeds all the way down to the young children that think, oh, maybe they'll get an advantage. They'll get a scholarship. And I said that in there that I wanted it for a scholarship. So, yeah, people and kids are going to cheat the system and identify as the opposite, opposite sex because they're always looking for an edge. So this is a serious issue. 
And I don't know how we're going to stop it unless we create like a third division for trans athletes. And, you know, the rates of trans, you know, identifying children is only going up, sadly. Yeah, it is extremely concerning. And look, on the subject of what we're going to do about it, um, I think maybe there is finally some sense going to be seen in the sports world because, you know, you mentioned Leah Thomas. Uh, she, Leah is the trans swimmer. There was a viral clip of, of Leah winning, I think it was a 1,500-yard race or something, by a full 38 seconds. I mean, the whole world cringed when they saw that. And interestingly enough, the main world swimming body, FINA, did six months of research into this issue and concluded that in actual fact, yes, uh, trans women absolutely have a biological advantage over um, over women um, and has banned them from now on from competing in FINA events. Um, but And they've also uh, decided to trial what you suggested, a third category for trans people and intersex people um, to see if that kind of takes off. Do you think more sporting bodies will, will go down that road? Well, of course. And then if you look at Leah Thomas, he swam, or William, when he was William, before she became Leah, it's a, it's a proper pronouns, um, swam on the men's team for three mm. years and was ranked in the 400s and then became the number one ranked swimmer in a few events in the NCAA Women's Championship. So, yeah, I mean, this is a, a, I'm happy that, you know, sporting bodies are standing up against this. But if it happens at the high school levels where it's okay or the college levels, that's where it's really important because swimming is an amateur sport. But this is another thing, the comedian in me, I like to say this in my stand-up, you know, really, Leah Thomas, you know, women's swimming really should be patting Leah Thomas on her back. She's brought more attention to the sport than they've ever had. So in, <laughs> in, in a weird kind of sense... Uh, they really should be happy. Now we're all of a sudden talking about women swimming here. You know, I'm in Dallas and you're in Australia and we're talking about women swimming. So maybe Leah Thomas did help the sport in that sense. But other than that, other than bringing attention to it, no, it's terrible for the sportsmanship and for the competition being fair. Mm, it's it, it's funny though. I think what would what would a, an old school feminist say? You know how it's a real example of of you know quote unquote patriarchy that the thing that brought a lot of attention uh, to women swimming was somebody who was who was born a man. There you go. There is there is there is your second wave feminist <laughs> patriarchal theory mm -hmm. full circle. Oh my god, clown world, total clown world that we live in. Yes. Now look, Alex. Um, you have been criticized in the past for your provocative style. Um, you know, not surprising. Of course, you're going to rub people up the wrong way. Uh, one incident in particular uh, springs to mind. Uh, there was a happening on, uh, I believe, the Capitol steps last year when I, I guess you sort of catcalled uh, Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez by telling her that she was, quote, unquote, a big booty Latina. Um, and when you did that, that video went viral. There was mass outrage across the media. She got very upset about it. Um, and people from all sides criticized you. But there is a very clear reason that you decided to confront AOC like that, isn't there? Well, I wanted to get her attention. I mean, I mean, is that do you is that an open ended question or do you actually have the reason? Because I didn't pre answer this question. Now I'm curious if you know more than I do, because I'll tell you why I said it. Listen, AOC always talks about how she's sexualized and about how there was a picture during COVID where she wasn't wearing her mask and her boyfriend had these weird sandals and they shared pictures of her feet. And then she went on to, oh, I'm a victim. Wah, wah, wah. People want to sexualize me. So when I thought in my head, I'm going to go up to the Capitol in Washington, D.C. and try to interview politicians because I know they have to. To walk into their votes so i just sat there when i saw when i saw aoc i 
talked about abortion because at the time that was a hot button issue because of the six week abortion ban. And then I said, hey, you're my favorite big booty Latina. And in Texas, I'm in Texas. There's so many, everybody's a Latina here. That's a, one of the nicest compliments you can give a woman. And I said in front of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's uh, fiance at the time, now there's rumors that they actually might be married. So that's either here nor there. Let me get back to my point. I said, I'm going to sexualize her to see if that evokes a response. And it did so much so that she went and made 16 Instagram stories about me. She helped me out more <laughs> that day, made me more famous from the, that 10 second interaction than I ever did on my own. So that's why I'm indebted to AOC. And as a matter of fact, I'm suing her right now because she blocked me on Twitter. She took the video. She, she, not only not embedded it, but actually downloaded it and reshared it, took off my watermark, which is fine. I respect that. But that video got 20, 30, 40, 50 million hits on Twitter. It just went super viral. And then her response to it, she said that I said she had a juicy ass and she misrepresented what actually happened. So then it kind of made her look like a liar. And then, you know, it, it just... It, it, at the end of the day, yes, it was a little inappropriate how I spoke to a congresswoman. I'm not going to sit here and lie, but that was the point. I was making a joke, and I wasn't really supposed to be in a sexual manner, but it, it was taken that way, and it was really successful for me. Sadly, I just have to say what it did for my career is unreal because the enemy of my enemy is my friend, so even the people on the right that didn't like it, Jesse Waters at Fox News plays that clip once a month because it's always going to be funny because people don't like AOC, so they're always going to like somebody you know, kind of being and, you know, catching her offsides here in American football. The quarterback will oftentimes fake hike to make the opposing team come offsides. And that's what I do is I try to draw the other team offsides. And AOC went way offsides mm. when I kind of, you know, drew a trap for her. And the thing is, it was, uh, I remember I watched it first and I was like, oh my God, what is Alex doing? But what, then um, I, re <laughs> I realised though, this was right around the time, and this is again an example I think of you using the left's tactics against them. This was around the time that AOC had said that it was okay that people were making um, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh uncomfortable, quote unquote uncomfortable, as yes. she put it on Twitter, um, while he was at a restaurant um, with, with his family and she said no 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 it's totally fine that he's uncomfortable because of Ralphie like Ugh. I'm not very good at imitating her so I won't try um but this is uh, again you were simply from my reading of it doing what she herself condones which is making a political opposition uncomfortable to prove a point Daisy, you're way smarter than me because that happened, you know, and that is part of it because that had happened, I think, like seven days or eight days. It was like literally right out of less than a week or right over a week where she said, make Brett Kavanaugh uncomfortable at a restaurant. He was confronted by people. So she was, you know, talking about going back to Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals. She was all about it then. And then when I did it, you know, that, you know, it really, really affected her. So you're 100 percent correct that is the abbreviated answer i was really just kind of using what she said against her what she encouraged other people to do i did against her and it was incredibly successful for bringing attention and then you know this is the silver lining of the whole story she went into the capitol went and voted came out and then proceeded to say that the capitol police on january 6th since they didn't defend her on that day they probably let in a lot of the rioters so she actually was basically saying it was an inside job she said this on her own because she has lost faith in the capitol police which 
you know, that opens up a lot of, of doors and questions on how did these people get in because they have mag locks. So by me doing that stupid thing, it, it started a conversation about a very serious subject. Uh, did it correct the, the situation? No. Are the January 6th people getting, you know, unfairly prosecuted? Yes. And they're getting the book thrown at them. But at least it started the conversation a little bit and brought a little more awareness to it. Yes, I, I remember AOC doing that, and I hadn't realised until after that that was actually connected to you going up and catcalling her on the steps. So sort of one thing leads to another. But it was great that she did that, wasn't it? Because, I mean, I remember watching those people get into the building. Those doors must weigh, like, several tonnes. You can't just push them open. Like, surely they need to be opened up by a code, like someone punching in numbers somewhere. It would be a coded lock, massive security. There is no way, is there, that those those people could have just, you know, waltzed in the way they did? Well, and they told you that they had mag locks, that they, you know, they lifted the mag locks. And then you saw the QAnon shaman, my biological stepfather, Tucker Carlson. That's another person I want to thank. He loved my videos. He loved my city council videos and then invited me on his show twice. And that really, you know, brought a lot of attention to me. And then also the AOC thing. But no, he exposed the footage of Jacob Chansley, the QAnon shaman, walking through, you know, the dais and all around uh, the Capitol. And if you really think that that guy was going to walk in there and decertify an election, you're smoking more crap than hunter biden because i mean obviously that's not the case they you know he basically had a tour now i'm not saying all everybody was great and i'm not saying the event was necessarily good it was a bad day it was not a good look but there was people and there was bad actors that made it worse than it really was and these a lot of these people were actually let in so also the last point i want to make they were able to reconvene within less than six hours and certify the election so the the fact that they compare it to 9 11 is just very insensitive to the actual victims that die from a terrorist attack when the only person that actually died was ashley babbitt so very very bad situation yeah it was it was a very bad situation and yes not everyone there was great and no it wasn't great that they went in but it's you know as as i'm sure we can both agree the, the media coverage of it was just completely disingenuous. I mean, for a while there, they were going on about how, oh, five people died. But no, actually, actually, it was only one person who died, and that was Ashley Babbitt. And she was an unarmed Trump supporter, and she was shot and killed uh, by a Capitol police. So, you know, they'll go into bat for George Floyd, uh, getting, you know, unarmed being killed by a, a cop. But no, 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 if you're, if you're, a, if you're a female Trump supporter, you, you get no such, no such credence. I mean, again, I could go on about that for ages, but it's, it's very, very frustrating. Now, look, you Americans, you do have an election coming up in 2024. It is a hotly yes. contested for second place. Uh, I, I think we're, we're pretty sure who's going to get the Republican nomination. It's Donald Trump. But look, I want to know who your pick is for 2024. Is it Donald Trump? Is it Ron DeSantis? Or is it wildcard Vivek Ramaswamy? Well, no, it's not. I mean, I like Vivek, uh, and I actually like Ron DeSantis, what he did in Florida, but I think it's obvious that Trump needs to be the nominee. He's just the most popular, but I really don't think it matters. I think Joe Biden will be forced to step down because of whether, you know, something his son did, or maybe, you know, a lot of his illegal business dealings are going to come up. And I think this is just all speculation, and I'm a conspiracy theorist. I just want to, you know, preface that. I do believe Kamala Harris will step in temporarily, but she's not qualified enough to actually be the president. So she'll be the de facto president maybe for two months, one month. So then they'll have their multicultural, 
you know, African-American slash Indian woman. And it, you know, it kind of stands for progressive values. But then I think they're going to switch and go right back to a guy like Gavin Newsom, who's like a blue blood white guy from a super rich family, <laughs> which really is kind of the opposite of progressive values. Just kind of like how Joe Biden is a super rich white guy. I mean, these people, you know, don't like super rich white guys. They're the opposite of super rich white guys. So my point being is I think they're going to kind of give the left a little, just a little hors d'oeuvre of, of progressivism and then go back to Gavin Newsom. And I've lost all faith in elections. So, uh, I mean, I really think the same outcome is probably going to happen in 2024, sadly. Yeah, I was going to ask you actually whether or not you think Trump can win, but I oh, I tend to be of the opinion that, you know, they threw so much stuff at Donald Trump in 2020. Like, you know, what was it that Time magazine called it in that infamous article, the well-funded cabal of people who were, you know, changing information and changing rules and laws? Um, do you think he is really going to suffer the same fate in 2024? I mean, I think it's a high possibility. I mean, I, I don't know why not. The idea that Joe Biden got more votes, you know, from the black community than, than Barack Obama is insane. Mm. I, I mean, that just doesn't really make sense. So yeah, I mean, the guy ran his campaign from his basement. So if he, he could win, Donald Trump was super, like, I mean, he was a superstar for lack of a better word. I mean, his popularity was huge. You'd fill out stadiums and that was the opposite of Joe Biden. So yeah, I mean, to see what happened in 2020, I think it's gonna be a similar outcome, sadly, because they only have to kind of juke the stats in a few counties and a few states. So uh, with ele the electoral college, it's, it's not as hard as you may think. And you know, the CIA, NSA, I do believe there's a deep, deep state of actors that are, are not interested in America's well-being, that are more interested in the military industrial complex and, you know, geopolitical relations. So, yeah, if those people have all the control, they control everything. I don't think they're going to like elect Donald Trump fairly uh, mm. ever again or ever. Yes, which is which is very unfortunate. I hope you and I are both wrong, but I'm I'm feeling sadly a little bit uh, pessimistic about it. Unfortunately, now uh, Alex, I've just had a request uh, uh, sprung on me by the ADH team. I've been told to ask you something, um, and that question is, what is MK Ultra? Yes, well, MK Ultra. I mean, it's it's a form of brainwashing, and you know they talk about it all the time. You know, and, and people always kind of laugh at this, but you know, because I'm such a conspiracy theorist, it's like having a Manchurian candidate where you can kind of control them and you can radicalize them. And it sounds crazy, but now with social media, you can radicalize a person to feel some sort of way. And what's really very very bizarre, and I, you know. This is probably maybe not safe for YouTube, but oftentimes here in America, we do have a shooting problem. There's a lot of school shootings. I'll admit that this is, a, you know, a bad thing. Nobody likes it. But every single time there's some terrible tragedy, the FBI says we talked to this person before they were on our radar. We just missed them. So I'm not saying all of them were MK Ultra, but there's just ways <laughs> to, I guess, mentally manipulate people through social media and through mass media. So the idea that, you know, they can kind of brainwash us. They do it every day with what I call trauma based mind control. They did it during COVID by always having a death toll. So there's different forms and ways to manipulate us. But uh, listen, I mean, a society that could be, you know, scared into compliance, we're all under a little bit of MK Ultra, And it sounds crazy, <laughs> but that's just how I truly feel.
Look, I, I am willing to entertain any theory uh, put to me by anyone, so long as it is, it is argued uh, well and coherently. And, and Alex, you, you, you know what? You've argued that well and, and coherently. I will certainly take it under consideration. Now, uh, Alex, uh, we have to talk about your show on Blaze TV, Primetime with Alex Stein. Yeah. Um, I had the very great joy and uh, pleasure of appearing um, on, on your show last week, um, in which it is, we had a good chat, didn't we, about Australia's COVID laws, but you also ate bugs. Um, you went around with mm -hmm. a boxing glove and kind of punched everyone on the set. Um, and your lovely, your wonderful producer, Jimmy, turned up in nothing but budgie smugglers, so tiny little swimsuit and a sparkly cowboy hat um, in honour of Australia. Um, I, I didn't quite know where I was. Uh, I loved every second of it. So we have to talk about this show. It seems completely unique um, on, the, on the YouTube landscape. Like, uh, what inspired it? How did you brainstorm it? Like, t tell us everything. Well, Daisy, my heart is so warm that you can understand <laughs> that I'm trying to make something different because a lot of people are like, why isn't this like a podcast? Why aren't you answering this? Why aren't you doing this? <laughs> yes, it's a bizarre show with a cult following and we are growing, but I, I just really appreciate people like you that can roll with the punches because we've we've had some viral clips. Like we asked Vivek Ramaswamy if he thought, you know, the 9-11, uh, you know, if he thought the government lied to us about 9-11 and he said, yes, there's redacted pages on the 9-11 commission report and that went super viral. So I'd like to have a serious question like that sometimes and then i also like to be just crazy and wild because i grew up watching tom green i love tom green i love the jackass shows you know growing up and i love eric andre i love sasha baron cohen so i want a show that's like allergy that's all these weird shows mixed together live in a different uh i want it to be totally different than anything else on youtube and i'm so happy you said that because that makes me feel good because that's what i'm going for but when you try to do something different that people haven't seen before it's hard to get them kind of you know to accept it but been a little bit of an uphill battle but we are dominating we do have a cult following and we've had some major major viral clips so i just love you that you really actually had the time you gave me the best intro and you said the nicest things about my show ever <laughs> daisy you make I, I mean that thank you so much i really appreciate the way you described it no, no, I, I mean it. I loved it. And I actually kind of feel your pain because I, I understand you trying to do something that's totally different that people haven't seen before. Because uh, I've done that with myself in, in a weird way, in, in a much smaller context. Mm -hmm. But the way that I dress, for instance, and the way that I present, um, whether I'm on television or when I'm on ADH, when I'm on YouTube, um, it's very, very different to most other female commentators. They do kind of the suit jacket and the straight hair, and, and that's all fine for them. They look lovely. Um, but my whole thing is I wanted to bring a bit of kind of glamour and pizzazz back to current affairs and also femininity to prove that you can be feminine and still be taken seriously and still be smart. So it's, it's sort of like that, obviously not the exact same thing, but is that what you're trying to do with your show, to take sort of current affairs and news commentary um, and, and make it sort of, you know, next level entertainment? A hundred percent. And I want to be eccentric and I'm sure you want to be eccentric too, a little bit as a broadcaster. And that's why you dress great. And that's why you look so nice. And that's why you actually set yourself apart by not just being a sheep and following the crowd. And that's why I try to do, you know, with my show, I don't want to be a sheep. I want to do something bizarre, but you know, this with YouTube in terms of service to blaze, they let me do anything I want. But, you know, sadly with YouTube every day, I'm like, you know, walking a tightrope, but I, I, that's the choice that I have to make because I want to be different. And, uh, no, you nailed it. I mean, uh, Daisy, are you like a psychiatrist or you a psychologist? <laughs> what did you study? You have a very, 
your observations are very astute, I would say. Well, you're very sweet to say that, Alex. Look, I I, I did not uh, study psychiatry or psychology, but I've always said that in another life I would have been a psychologist because I am very interested in people, especially interesting people. And you, my friend, I think, are one of the most interesting people that I have ever encountered. It has been a, a <laughs> pleasure, a real pleasure interviewing yeah. you today. Um, before we go, tell everyone where they can find you online. Obviously, your YouTube channel, Prime Time with Alex Stein, but where else can they find you? Also on Twitter, Alex Stein 99 and Instagram, Primetime Stein. And I want to say, Daisy, we got to talk again. I didn't even get into my early uh, you know, life. I worked for a TV show here in America called Cheaters, where we catch people cheating on their husbands and wives. <laughs> and I was supposed to be the host of that show. And then they hired a guy named Peter Guns, who is a 52-year-old rapper. And they changed his name to Peter Panky uh, because they didn't want to glamorize gun violence. So I'm saying I I've had a wild, crazy life to get to this point. I would love to even tell you more. But just thank you for the professionalism that you've displayed. It it's actually a privilege to have been interviewed by you this evening, Daisy. You are incredibly kind, Alex. This has been great fun. We will absolutely talk again. I absolutely want to hear about, about that show, Cheaters. Um, we will be in touch for sure. You have an absolutely wonderful evening. Thank you for coming on, and we will definitely see you very soon. Thank you. Well, so far, this show has been all about finding the funny in life. But I'm about to tell you a story which is not at all amusing. A couple of years ago, a notorious social justice warrior broke into my house, hijacked my home studio, and recorded several videos of herself spreading violent Marxist propaganda. I even managed to capture one such incident on camera when I was trying to film an episode of my long-running YouTube series, This Week in Social Justice, as I cowered in the kitchen pantry. Seriously, I am holed up in the pantry right now trying to hide from Imogen. She somehow broke into my house again. I'm not sure how she keeps getting in. She was bugging me forever via text to let her host This Week in Social Justice because of course she thinks she can do a better job because she's actually a social justice warrior. But here I am in the pantry trying to hide. <laughs> Among the tuna and the cat food. So, uh, oh. Harrowing stuff. It's an experience I hope never to repeat. Fortunately, this little Antifa enthusiast left me alone during the COVID years, claiming she was terrified of catching the illness and accidentally killing her granny because she wasn't yet able to have six doses of the Pfizer vaccine. However, she has since managed to dose up to her satisfaction and as such tried to break in again, only to find that I had indeed moved house. Now frustrated, this social justice warrior started spamming me on Twitter, threatening to stage a protest to block off the Sydney Harbour Tunnel unless I agreed to give her a platform. Since I no longer record my YouTube videos in a home studio and do so instead at the wonderful ADH-TV studios, I figured why not give the gal a soapbox for a few minutes. After all, I believe in free speech and diversity of opinion, and so long as there is no threat to my physical person or my private property, I'm happy to platform all sides of the debate. So, ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, I present to you, God help us all, Imogen Crow. Hi. 
Hi everyone, so my name is Imogen Crow, my pronouns are she, her, and I am a progressive, intersectional, demi-semi-genderqueer, radical feminist who fights for the rights of women of all sexes. I have a Bachelor of Gender Studies in Queer Theory from the University of Sydney, and I am currently doing my Masters in Feminist Dance Philosophy, both of which have prepared me so well for fighting and dismantling the oppressive white supremacist patriarchy that I am forced to live in, and I have something to say. As a radical democratic socialist, I cannot tell you how thrilled I am that Joe Biden is currently the president of the United States. He was like clearly the correct candidate to win the US presidential election in 2020. He's doing an awesome job and anybody who says things like inflation is bad and his son is a crackhead and Joe Biden wants to turn the Ukraine war into World War III is just guilty of spreading right-wing misinformation and should literally be sent to jail for like forever. But seriously, Joe Biden's win in 2020 was such a shining moment for democracy. As former Australian Prime Minister Julia Gillard said, Joe Biden's win proves that while democracy might sometimes be messy, ultimately it works. And she also said that America had embraced a future of hope and reason by electing Joe Biden. And from what I can see by like reading Twitter and the New York Times, like she could not have been more right. She's practically psychic. And trust me, Julia Gillard, of all people, would know all about democracy. I mean, she was the first female prime minister of Australia, and she became the prime minister by leading a coup against Kevin Rudd, a straight white cis man who was the prime minister at the time and had actually been elected a couple of years before. So Julia Gillard didn't even need to get voted in in order to be prime minister. It was just so obvious to her that she was the right person for the job, so she made it happen. And that's true democracy, when the correct candidate with the correct views wins power, no matter what they have to do to get there. She also got into politics through the quota system, which is like the fairest possible way to make sure that enough women get elected. I mean, you don't get any more democratic than artificially pumping higher numbers of women into parliament than actually want to run for parliament in the first place. Now, it is very clear to me that the reason we haven't had a female prime minister before or after Julia Gillard is because everyone who votes for candidates who aren't women are misogynists, like obviously. Even the women voters. I mean, if they can't vote in line with what feminist leaders say are their gendered interests as prescribed by feminists, then they honestly don't deserve to be even called women. Because only women can truly represent the interests of women because all actual women have the same opinions. And if they don't have those opinions, well, they deserve to be insulted and slandered and made to feel terrible because they're clearly all just boy sucks who are only saying what they say in order to get male attention or because some man told them they're too dumb to think for themselves so they have to think what the man thinks. That is the correct opinion to have about women who don't have the correct opinions. And I know this because politicians, Hollywood, The Guardian and Buzzfeed and all my favorite feminists on Twitter told me so. And since they have the correct opinions, I mean like, why wouldn't I believe them? Uh, we do not do well with white men and we don't do well with married white women. Um, and part of that is a, an identification with the Republican Party uh, and a, uh, a, a sort of ongoing pressure uh, to uh, vote the way that your husband, your boss, uh, your son, whoever, uh, believes you should. And
Hillary Clinton, oh my God, like practically a saint, isn't she? Anyway, speaking of democracy, in the USA in 2020, we also saw a situation of the correct candidate winning the election in the freest and fairest way. I mean, in the 2016 election, when Donald Trump, AKA the fascist king, won, there was clearly a huge amount of fraud and foreign interference that went on. I mean, like absolutely Russia rigged the vote. They even did a whole investigation into just how Donald Trump colluded with Russia to win the 20. 2016 election, and even though that allegedly found there was no collusion, well, that's like totally not the real answer. That means that Russia must have like rigged the investigation too, obviously. And I know that for a fact because literally everybody I spoke to on Twitter was voting for Hillary Clinton. And you know, Twitter is such a handy snapshot of public opinion. Seriously, if you ever want to know what everybody is thinking, just log on to Twitter. It is the most accurate reflection of the general public that we have, and I really think politicians should base all their election campaigns on what people on Twitter are saying. Why? Because the people I tweet on Twitter have the correct opinions, and the correct opinions are always true no matter who's saying them and no matter for what reason. And that's how we'll all know whether American democracy is working at the 2024 election if the correct candidate with the correct opinions wins. And the correct candidate is, of course, going to be whoever the Democrats end up running which will absolutely be Joe Biden. Anybody who says he's got dementia and should be living in a nursing home is just an ignorant right-wing disinformation merchant. Anyway, I suppose that I should talk about what's happening in Australia because we have a referendum coming up in a few weeks to vote in an Indigenous voice to Parliament. Because even though Indigenous Australians or First Nations people, as they should be called, calling them anything else is a literal microaggression, have been able to vote since 1962 and have had First Nations politicians in Parliament since 1971, not to mention countless advisory bodies, both past and present, they just don't have any kind of voice when it comes to lawmaking in Australia. And that is basically fascism. And we know they don't have a voice because even though First Nations people can vote and run for office, they are ultimately First Nations people. And as a white person who is absolutely like the most anti-racist person you will ever meet, I am keenly, keenly aware of the fact that they are of a different race to me. And that is the anti-racist way. And of course, as a white person, I am inherently privileged over First Nations people simply because it's a privilege to be white. Knowing that deep within is the epitome of the progressive mentality. A hyper-focus on race is the only way to eliminate racism once and for all. Remember, there's nothing racist about putting race first. Race should be the first and foremost deciding factor in how we all perceive and treat each other. And anything less than that is literal bigotry and so divisive. Anyway, as I was saying, one of the main reasons all Australians need to vote yes to the Indigenous Voice to Parliament referendum is because First Nations people simply can't be held responsible for their actions. Suggesting First Nations people should take any kind of personal responsibility for their lives is the absolute height of racism. It is our fault, white people's fault, that they're disadvantaged 
because we are just so unbelievably influential in every facet of society simply by virtue of the fact that we're white. Therefore, we white allies have to step in and support First Nations people and be very, very careful not to offend or traumatize them further. And that's how we'll defeat white supremacy and improve the lives of black people everywhere because we're white people and we have all the power and we have a duty to take care of First Nations people because they just can't take care of themselves. Seriously, anybody who doesn't care about race as much as I do, who doesn't see race everywhere and base all of their interactions with people on whatever race that person is, is disgustingly racist. I mean, whoever said that quote about how we should judge people by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin must have been a massive white supremacist. So, to conclude, I suppose I have to thank that neo-fascist who usually hosts this show, Daisy Cousins, for giving me a platform. She may be a boy suck and a Nazi and a supporter of that neo-Hitler Donald Trump, but at least this time she didn't call the cops on me. So, hail Stalin, y'all! Well, that's all we have time for on Daisy Cousins Presents. It has been a hell of a show this evening and incontestable proof that conservatives are funnier than leftists. Make sure you tune in next week for more of the world's most fascinating creative people. Good night, world. I'll see you soon.